Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. You're listening to Rabot & Co. here on ESPN 680 and 105.7. Now, here's Louis Rabot. All right, the person in here left the captions on the TV. I'm, I'm judging. I'm judging. We're starting the show with judgment. Louis Rabot hanging out with you here at 10 to noon on Rabot & Co. ESPN 680, 105.7. We're part of local programming from 7 to 6 every weekday here on ESPN Louisville. Hanging out with Zach Cantrell. Get you into the show here at ESPN 680 on Twitter. You can find me at Radio Louis. Please text the show. Four three seven nine six eighty. Let us know what you are thinking on the UPS jobs text line. Fun uh, set of games yesterday in the NFL. We'll talk about both of them. Uh, Bills Chiefs set back up again. I'm sure the weather will be delightful in Buffalo next week. Uh, and of course, the Bucks heading to Detroit. We'll talk to Mark Ennis in a couple minutes here. Uh, get him set up as part of his usual. Uh, engagement with us here on Tuesdays. Uh, we'll talk Louisville hoops and uh, just the the obvious visual improvement of the team, but boy, how much do they have to do for him to be comfortable with year three or not him necessarily, but just the administration uh, in general. Jeff Brom still cr- uh, crushing in the transfer portal. We'll talk about that as well. And uh, I do a college basketball podcast with Mark. I'm sure we'll get into some of the national stuff around that as well. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to start. <laughs> I wish people could see the chaos right now. These poor people, these poor producers, try to figure out uh, what we're going to do. Uh, James, can you hear me? Why don't you come sit down for a second? I, um, you can actually. I mean, he's got, he's got Comrex too. If you need to do the Comrex thing with him, so you know whatever you got to do with him. If the gaggle's not working, just go ahead and Comrex him up. He's got, he's got that ability as well. Um, it's interesting this time of year in the NFL because so many things are moving pieces, right? So the, the playoff matchups are moving pieces. The coaches are moving pieces. Uh, guys start to retire. We saw that with Jason Kelsey last night. Um, and it's interesting that the Tomlin walk-off of the podium when he got a, con- a question about his contract. It's amazing, and we talk about this a lot on this show, when you have standards for your program or standards for your team, a guy like Tomlin could go over 500 every year that he's in Pittsburgh, and there's questions about whether he should continue. I've got a neighbor who's from Pittsburgh, big Steelers fan, of course, and he's ready to fire Tomlin yesterday. It's a stunning thing to watch successful. I mean, the NFL is designed for you to have losing seasons, right? It just is. It's designed for you to have some winning seasons, designed for you to have some losing seasons, and, and Tomlin doesn't do the, the latter of that. He just wins, and he wins with, with Mason Rudolph. <laughs> There's questions about his job. The Roonies are are wildly stable, though, in Pittsburgh. So they're not going to make some kind of rash decision about Mike Tomlin, I'm sure. The Mike Tomlin thing, I think, is more of a 
a first take kind of thing for ESPN, for the national sort of shows. Seems to be the better way, uh, the way forward for, for some of those people is to talk about that. But Kelsey retiring, you know, Tomlin's time in Pittsburgh. It's interesting because every time I, I, I think of a job like Pittsburgh, where guys are there for a really, really long time, I always think they're not going to find the next guy. I remember when they hired Mike Tomlin, I remember thinking, wow, this is going to work because it's the Steelers, but I don't understand why. <laughs> this is going to work. It's going to work with, with Mike Tomlin because it's the Steelers, but frankly, it's gotten to the point where it's working for the Steelers because of Mike Tomlin. And I'm just surprised that that there's questions about whether he should continue or not with how crap the, <laughs> the quarterback play has been there. You draft Kenny Pickett in the first round, you're asking your guy to go win a Super Bowl? I mean, come on, please, please. I don't see it at all. So um, I, I also, I don't know if there's a decorum here, Zach, about answering these kinds of questions or walking off or what have you that we should expect from a guy like Mike Tomlin if there's <laughs> if he should have to stand up there and answer the question or if walking off about his contract. Because I, is it any different than him just saying, I'm not going to comment on that? I love being the Steelers coach, just kind of looking at her and walking away. Are, are those Are those differently disrespectful? Because I don't think they are. I don't think they are. I would not be offended if, if someone walked off when that when that was very obviously the last question. If people haven't seen the video, Tomlin goes through his his postgame presser. He's obviously half man, half icicle at that point, <laughs> as all the coaches were over the weekend in the United States that played outdoors and not in Florida. Um, and so he's just already frozen. He's already in a bad mood because his team lost, and then someone asked him. And rightly, by the way, it's the right question. You close the press conference with that question. Someone did their job. That's not what I'm doing right now. But I also understand just walking off. And so an interesting thing, because I know there are a lot of Steeler fans in Louisville, and it seems to be one of those teams that has a lot of fans everywhere, but uh, I know there are a lot of Steeler fans in Louisville. Would love to hear from them. 437-9680, does he continue on as their coach? I'm just not sure uh, about that. Um, a texter, Dallas trades Dak to Pittsburgh. Tomlin wins the Super Bowl next year. I'm just joking. Man, it would be Tomlin that could make Dak good, right? <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It would be that kind of necessity um, to, to move him into that kind of place away from Mike McCarthy, of all people. Good God. You know, we were we were joking, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this with Mark when he jumps on, is in that in that Dallas game, we learned that Jordan Love is good. Dak Prescott is Dak Prescott. And we also can't quite figure out, was is Matt LaFleur good and, and Aaron Rodgers is out of his mind? Or is Mike McCarthy a bum? Like, <laughs> or yes, that's all of it, right? I just can't figure it out after that game because there's so many moving pieces there of guys that are there, not there. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is no longer there. Jordan Love obviously is the next guy in, in Green Bay and will be for a long time uh, if he wants to stay there. And it just it was funny trying to figure out like the Spider-Man meme, like who's to blame here for what happened in Green Bay previously and what's happening in Dallas now. And that's uh it was a fun little uh text back and forth exchange there uh as well. Uh the only game, by the way, that has a line that is even within, I think, like five points for next weekend uh in the NFL is going to be that uh, the last game of the weekend. It's going to be Bills-Chiefs. It's a two-and-a-half-point spread for Buffalo. Otherwise, everyone is at least a six-point favorite. The Lions, six-point favorite against the Bucks. San Francisco is a 10-point favorite against the Packers. And the Ravens are a nine-point favorite against the Texans at home. And 
you know, I, I look at those spreads and I think, wow, that's a lot of points. But n- very few of the divisional games were close. <laughs> maybe the NFL, maybe the, uh, excuse me, maybe Vegas has figured it out. They got to they gotta make these spreads a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger for these games. Ten point spread for the 49ers against the Packers. Now, they played earlier in the season. So we're into that portion of the playoffs where we're getting that kind of, you know, those kinds of rematches uh, as well. Oh, no, that's right. They missed them on that schedule, didn't they? No, Tampa Bay. No, they missed them on the schedule. So this will be the first time that they matched up. Uh, They played Minnesota. That's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll bring them in. Here's Mark Ennis. I'm talking NFL. Uh, Mark Ennis can talk NFL. What's up, Mark? All right, Mark. Uh, welcome in. I'm talking NFL. How you feeling after your Bucks get the win last night? Uh, feeling better than I anticipated I would feel at any point this season. <laughs> I, I go back to the, the very beginning of the year. I thought we were tanking, man. I thought Baker oh. Mayfield was uh, was uh, a, a just keeping that placeholder warm, hmm. and that they would just try to to finish with the worst record. They would fire Todd Bowles and the whole staff, and it would be a start over. And instead, they're in the freaking uh, divisional round. I can't believe it. Is it uh, is it house money at this point? Absolutely house okay. money. This okay. is all house money. Yeah. I, again, I, I really thought their plan wasn't to try to accomplish much of anything hmm. this year. And uh, instead, uh, they end up winning the division. I think it says a lot about the division. Uh, this is just not a well-run division, kind of a top to bottom here. Uh, but it's your job to try and take advantage of that sort of thing, and I'm not going to apologize for it. No, you shouldn't. Um, the, the lines are out for next week. The only game that has a line under six points is the uh, is the Chiefs visiting the Bills? Uh, your Bucks are a six point favorite in Detroit, or a six point dog in Detroit. Excuse me, does that sound about right to you? Uh, I think that's uh, quite frankly maybe a little bit generous. I, I think Detroit is. I picked them to go to the Super Bowl uh, once the playoffs uh, were announced. I think they're going to get out of the NFC, but uh, I didn't think they'd be playing the Bucks either. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, I think that sounds uh, again perhaps just the tiniest bit. Uh, generous. It is kind of an interesting matchup of, of strengths with, I think, what Tampa Bay's good at on defense, what the Lions are good at offensively. That'll be a good matchup. I think the real fear for somebody uh, with a Tampa Bay rooting interest will be, where are your points coming from? How are you scoring on Detroit's defense? It's pretty nasty. Uh, yeah, I, I think what Baker Mayfield does well, though, and that is create enough time for, for guys to get to second levels for passes. Mm-hmm will play well against the Lions, and I think that's the best chance they have uh, this coming weekend. It's fascinating. I, I think it, the postmortems for whatever it is that has happened in Philadelphia, it really is, uh, Louis. it's fascinating. The NFL is the only league, professional league, I really feel like, where the teams are very, very, very like emotional and kind of emotionally driven. You know, you get the uh, in the NFL, you get a team that just sort of gets the vibes wrong, and they careen off a cliff, like the Eagles did. Like there was a time where they were in line to be the one seed in the NFC, coming off a Super Bowl appearance, and they fell off the end of the world. And it really isn't a great explanation for why it happened. You know, it's interesting, and, and Mark Ennis with us, his usual spot on Tuesday. We will. Uh... Work on his phone. Uh, is Plumber Chuck going to press charges against Ennis for uh, for Ennis stealing his phone? Coming down on the text line, that is a good joke. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting talking about football and, and, and the emotion part of it and the the buy in part, etc. Because we've seen 
remarkable examples locally of that, right? Where when it started to go bad with Bobby, it just went bad, right? Period. End of conversation. It went off the cliff immediately. And it's why, by the way, with a guy like Brom, you hear him every single time he talks, he talks about one game, one game, one game, one game, because he knows just recollecting everyone after a game is as important as prepping for the game, right? A million percent. The emotional management and like the psychological management of players is an enormous part, especially of football, because I think you'd agree with me of all the sports to try and play without your heart, like a hundred percent in it. Football is the one where it can go the worst for you, right? Like you, you can go through the motions in other sports, perhaps without life and limb being at risk, (laughs) but it seems like it's most obvious when a football team isn't there mentally and emotionally, it looks like what the Eagles looked like last night. And even if they were 100% uh, full strength, maybe on offense, and A.J. Brown was playing that sort of thing, hmm. I don't know that that game was going to be a whole lot closer. They, Their minds and hearts were not in it. You could just tell it just looking at them, and it's always scary when you can, when you can see physically that on people's faces. Uh, the Bills game last night, is it, is it okay to really like the Bills fans and be outside of that market? Because I really like Bills fans. Uh, I really like Bills fans and Bills fandom. Yes, so, fandom no, is a good I'm, way to put it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think they seem to, they and the Chiefs seem to most resemble college fan bases. That sounds right. With the, Yeah, it's kind of their emotional recklessness and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's like it's somewhere between uh, a, a rabid college fan base and wrestling. That's where Buffalo Bills fans are. And it is kind of fun and refreshing, and, and they, they don't make it weird, except for when they're throwing stuff on the field. But other than that, they don't really make it weird. They, they, no, I think they're a lot of fun to root for. and I think it, it's cool how you have Baltimore and Lamar and like the just let's just say like the blackness of that city mm. and the way they've sure. got somebody to identify with, and then the Chiefs with Pat Mahomes and, and and just people that they feel like they identify with, and then Buffalo and Josh Allen yep. and people they feel like they identify with, like it really has created some great identities. And AFC playoffs are uh, a show and have been for years now. It's interesting. We were talking ratings and, and numbers recently for the NFL, and they are considerably better than they were in the last couple of years do you i mean i know it's kind of a big picture question but is it more of just we got back to more normal in 2023 or was this an exceptional football season Uh, i i really think it has a lot to do with quarterbacks Uh, you know we were just talking about football being uh, hard to watch or hard like it's hard to watch somebody play when their heart's not in it it's also bad to watch NFL football when quarterback play isn't good. Mm. And I think comparing the ratings to a couple of years ago, if you say go like five years ago, you know, we're at the beginning of Lamar's career, beginning of Mahomes' career, beginning of Josh Allen's career, beginning of Justin Herbert's career. All these guys are, haven't emerged yet as like the next big things. And that year in particular was sort of the height of like everything, COVID year and all that going on and Colin Kaepernick and all this stuff. And people tried to find explanations for this sort of thing in things other than it's hard to watch when the quarterbacks are sucking. But then like, you've had the last couple of years, some real superstars emerge in new places to sort of be the next generation of guys. 
it really does make it a whole lot more fun to watch when, like, the worst quarterback in the AFC is a, is a budding superstar in, 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 CJ, in the playoffs, in CJ Stroud. Yeah. You know, like, he looks awesome. Yes. And he's a, a rookie. Like, I really just feel like it's such a simpler explanation that when there's better quarterback play, it's just a lot more fun to watch. Mark Ennis with us. He hosts The Drive on 93.9 from 3 to 6. You can hear him over there today. Um, I, Yeah, the number thing is is fascinating. And, you know, we, we always joke about Iowa football and these kinds of things. That's not what people want, right? That's not, that's not what they want to show up for. Obviously, if you have the culture built in, people will go do that. But it does, uh, it does lead credence to just needing better quarterbacks. Let's talk about C.J. Stroud, man. Um, and D'Amico Ryan, all the things that are happening in, in Houston – is that simply a reminder that you take the you take the NFL head coaching job because this could happen? Oh, you're, you're talking about uh, D'Amico Ryan's going ahead and agreeing to take that job when everyone said, like, what What are you signing What are you for? possibly doing? Yes, correct. Yeah, no, 100%. I think you take your chances and at least get the experience from it. And he did take the job knowing they were going to have high draft picks, even if they weren't going to have number one. Uh, and there's just no substitute for nailing it uh, with your your quarterback. And that I really, I think, uh, Louie, the most fascinating thing will be the the analysis down the road. of How did Carolina go through everything and decide on Bryce Young? Like, what made them think that was a better choice when, at least with one season, now, time might change people's opinion of this, but you watch those two guys play, I already feel like Bryce Young looks kind of shell-shocked to me. And C.J. Stroud doesn't even look like he knows what he should have been afraid of yet. You know, like just completely different guys. And I don't know that you can totally uh, assign that to who's in charge, but you do have to kind of feel bad for for Bryce Young. Sometimes when you're a quarterback and you get drafted in situations and you just get thrown into kind of a revolving door that's not your fault, and that's what I feel like he is. Like Baker Mayfield's had the same thing where I think he's played for five coaches in six years in the league or something like that. Like, you can't ever get off that treadmill. Uh, and, and conversely, Lamar goes to a place that desperately wanted yeah. him. Josh Allen goes to a place that desperately wanted him. Kansas City wanted Mahomes, not just a quarterback, and it has worked out beautifully, and your career's off to this great start. Peyton Manning is peddling Bud Light. Are you going to start drinking Bud Light? I gotta, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret here, Louie. I don't really drink beer at all. How about that? I don't like it. In I your don't face. really like beer that much. Yeah, in your face beer. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't well, matter what brand it is. I'm just not a big beer drinker. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's a bourbon guy. He's a man. You understand mm-hmm. me? Uh, no hair on the head, but oh, plenty on the chest. You understand that. me, people? <laughs> it's not that. I just don't <laughs> like it. I, I'm personally willing to own that as like a, a defect of me that I don't like. It. I, you know, I might be the problem. I'm fine with that, but I'm just letting you know. Like, I, I don't enjoy beer. I don't look forward to it. Right. Uh, it's fine. Sure. I'll drink it. Sure. Uh, but it's just, it's not, like, I'm not going for it if I have other options. There it is. All right. Well, he's Mark Ennis. I'm Mark Ennis on Twitter as well. You can go find him there. Uh, if you are uh, wanting to join the tens of thousands of people that hang out with Mark uh, on Twitter, let's take our first break. We'll try to connect with Mark in a different way than what we are doing now. Uh, but this is Rabo Co. here, ESPN 680 105.7. Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. 
to check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. to Rabo and Co. here on ESPN 680-1057. Now, here's Louis Rabot. All right, welcome back in. Second segment on a Tuesday. Hanging out with you, Louis Rabot, Zach Cantrell, Mark Ennis here on Rabo and Co. ESPN 680-1057. A reminder of some of the good programming happening around here. Of course, we'll go local until 6 o'clock. Uh, a reminder, though, too, on Tuesdays, we will re-air that Kenny Payne show at 2 o'clock ahead of Mark show over on 93.9. And then Jeff Walls will be on live tonight at 7 o'clock, hanging out with Nick Kern on 93.9. Louisville Sports Live will follow them at 8 o'clock as well. Zach, are you on Louisville Sports Live today? He's nodding. What do you think the topic Always. du jour will be? Backup right guards? Oh, backup right guards. There We're it going is. left tackles. There it is. The entire offensive line, Who's baby. Who's pulling next season? Important conversations. Trench talk. <laughs> a little trench talk on a Tuesday. Tuesday trench talk. I Tuesday like that. Tuesday trench talk. How about that? Triple T, baby. Triple T on a Tuesday. Um, we'll do a Raising Canes read later and uh, get everybody going as well. Uh, Mark, Mark, Mark. Uh, Louisville basketball. I asked a question yesterday at 11 o'clock. Uh, I know what people in this building think, but none of them matter <laughs> when it comes to the decision-making <laughs> process for uh, Kenny Payne having a job here or not next season. Um, and I do wonder if uh, we have some new version, a um, a more approachable, gentler version of Tom Jurich in the office right now over at UofL. Is there any chance that there's a year three, and what does it look like you think the rest of the season for Kenny Payne to keep the job here because look, I, I I think you can you can look at Saturday and say, Oh, if they don't fall behind twelve nothing, obviously that's coaching. Uh oh, if they have this, well that's coaching too. What what though does the rest of the season look like? Because look, the next four games, we're gonna know a lot, right? And I think there's a chance that it just doesn't go well the next four games and people fall back into the malaise of how they feel about this program. But let's say that they don't. Is there a scenario where he's back for year three? I can't, Lou, barring something that's just utterly not connected to what has happened so far. And what I mean by that is, like, barring them reaching some level of play that just doesn't automatically flow out of what they're doing right now, it's, I, I cannot envision uh, a year three or even a justification for trying uh, a year three if things don't uh, continue. I think these last two games, look, they did something well against Miami. And they played better than they have in kind of your run-of-the-mill games against NC State, and it wasn't enough uh, to win. And I think really more than anything else, like the game against NC State was a a good lesson that the fans here are not like recalcitrant and, and cold-hearted and unreachable. Like you literally gave them one good data point, and there was a couple extra thousand people at the game on Saturday against NC State. Uh, people just don't want to be mocked. Right. By the by, the play yep. on the court. That's right. And they thought against NC State there was a chance that it, it would look like more like what it did against Miami. And 
and they they weren't mocked. They just didn't win. But there are still, Louis, uh, persistent uh, macro issues with this team that are the kinds of things that would keep a coach from getting a year three no matter what. And one of them is they still can't, as a team, defend really anybody. And, and for, for that NC State team that was held in the 50s by Notre Dame and by North Carolina, who we don't think of as like a great defensive team, even as good as they are, uh, to come in here and score 89 points, shoot 60% from the field in the second half, like there are still uh, definitional things that a good team does that this team still doesn't really seem to even be closer to doing yet. So I'm not making more out of that game than, than I think it really deserves. What did they do right against Miami, and what parts of it is replicable? I think that that Miami was a great matchup for them in that Miami isn't super deep and doesn't push the pace. And Miami is content because I think they're really obviously an extremely good shooting team to early in the shot clock take good jump shots, maybe shots that are good for them that aren't good for for most teams. And they just missed a lot of them. And I think obviously Louisville deserves some credit uh, for that, but they really just missed a lot of those shots. And Louisville did seem to have a – it's a game plan where, like, they could bully with Brennan Helmy Hatfield when they had the ball, and Miami just had Norm Chad O'Meara, who they don't want to get in foul trouble, and not a lot of other sides. NC State doesn't have any of that. And so the game plan, just to me, just didn't carry forward. I don't think that that's an identity that Louisville can play with against mm-hmm. every single team, which is a good thing in the sense that, like, they figured out a good, workable strategy against Miami. They just weren't able to do the same thing against NC State, and it cost them. If we were doing this show in Miami, we'd be crushing Larenega, right? Oh, that's a uh, catastrophic loss for, for Miami. It'll it'll cost them a seed line. It's as bad as Clemson letting last year's Louisville game cost them a bid. A bid, yeah. Uh, it'll it, yeah, it'll cost Miami a seed line. That will wait unless Louisville goes on some insane run and is able to like mitigate it down to like a uh, a quad two loss or something. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be an incredible like outsized anchor on their resume for sure. Yeah, especially at home, right? And so uh, Mark Ennis right. with us. He'll be uh, on the drive today, 3 to 6, uh, more conversation uh, around that. So it's interesting because I know, you know, in your mind and other people's minds, there is no year three. I just, you, you know, you've talked to Josh Hurd. You've been around him a lot more than I have. Your sense of him sort of generally is is what on these matters? Because let's be let's be fair to him and let's also be real about the processes of hiring the last two coaches. You know, He's in the interim spot. You know, the the job comes open. I think that's pretty clear now that there was a lot of suggestion and persuasion and what have you, try not to use stronger words than that, that Kenny Payne be the next coach from a very vocal group of people. He hires Kenny Payne. It is what it is. Scott Satterfield uh, inexplicably is is bought out by the University of Cincinnati and disappears, and Jeff Brom is interested in the job. And I'm not saying that that – there was a, a he gets paid zero on that, but it's almost like you know when you sell a house and you know someone from out of state really wants the house, right? <laughs> That's gonna you know you can keep the price up or whatever else you can sort of do what you want. Uh, and, and Brom falls uh, to him that way because of the ties locally and all those sorts of things. What do you think his process is going to look like here if he does decide to make a change? Oh, we lost Mark. Okay. Aha, there you go. Okay, so Mark is going to jump to gaggle. Uh, there you go. Very long setup for a question that I hope I don't have to replay <laughs> with Mark. You don't? I am interested. Oh, there we go. What do you think his process you looks don't? like? I'm positive that that 
that heard like other ADs has a list. He's ready to go if he needed to make a change, whatever. I'm sure he's got all those things ready to go. What says you, though, about his process, you think? Yeah, I think this might – and so far uh, up to this point, I think it's consistent with – he. this is where he does seem to most resemble Jurich in right. that like Tom did not – uh, well, he didn't have to fire very many coaches, but when he did, like we didn't hear a, a lot of rumblings uh, at all uh, w- with Tom about, uh, say, with Cragthorpe. It was just when the season was over, it was bam, he's out. I thought it would work. You know, and we, he didn't get – that's why I've always been kind of uh, surprised by the number of people who have been like, he should say something. He needs to be out there. I mean, there was a time, I think, especially after DePaul and Arkansas State and Kentucky and all that, where he did need to say something. Uh, but the idea that he sort of needed to be out there constantly commenting on it, I don't think he does this job insecurely. You know, like he needs to try and control the daily message of things. Uh, and this one, I think, is it's important to not do that because I think it, it needs to, when we get to the end, that because of the sensitivity of all of this, uh, it needs to be uh, – he needs to be completely free of, of, of being accused of interfering in any way, mm. really in a way that's beyond what the athletic director ought to do. And it's got to be cold and objective and about the results and the future. And that's why I think he's been perhaps maybe extra quiet, just because I think that's the right way to handle this. Because I think when they get to the end of this season and the results are still probably most likely going to be very bad, uh, that you're going to have to – he's going to need to be able to go to the important people and to us out here in the public, general public, and, and say – we, we let Kenny implement his vision of doing things, and it just didn't work. Mark Ennis with us. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in his process as well, how much w- will will come out, like who's in town or where he's traveled to interview people or what have you, if there's a search firm, you know, this kind of stuff. I'm, I am fascinated if he follows what was publicly out there last time, but, you know, in a more – uh, I don't even know the terminology, but I think it's it's pretty obvious the the list of candidates will be longer this time around. Um, <laughs> it is also fascinating watching you know a, a guy who's down to three schools, Duke, Kentucky, and Baylor, pick Baylor, and a guy like Scott Drew <laughs> just just reel these guys in, brand new facility at Baylor, and all those kinds of things. So just the the, the candidate list, I, I think. Do you, are we getting to a point, Mark, where people have to be ready for a very unsexy hire? I think they should be prepared for, um, uh, yes, a hire that that maybe seems more workmanlike and less of a splash uh, than than they were hoping for. More and of I like a sensible fans... salad sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to find other words too. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I hope that they are prepared for that because I think there's there's always a possibility. Uh, of that and and look we just saw alabama open up uh, on the football side and lots of people get raises out of jobs that open up like that louisville did that for a number of people a couple of years ago i think you'd probably like to avoid that sort of thing but i agree with you there are a lot of dynamics that are different now than there were uh, when they made this hire a couple of years ago that if they do hit the market for a new head coach i would imagine the pool of candidates that are interested in it will be larger uh, and that's both in terms of people that they are willing to consider and people who are willing to consider the job uh, because of just the, the NCAA sanctions being completely in the rear view. You will start with no but if, but if, but ifs. Uh, and I think Josh, it, it will be less collaborative. And I think Josh will, will feel more entitled to, to 
lean on this process more than he was as an interim before and how that plays out or like what that means for who he'd be interested in and that sort of thing. I, I don't know. I would be fascinated. I'll be fascinated to learn that kind of along with everybody else. What does it look like when Josh is primarily the person instead of it being something where an interim is sort of rightly, understandably, sort of working alongside other interested parties? Mark Ennis with us. I'm Louis Rabot. We're talking ifs and buts with Mark uh, alongside Zach Cantrell. Got you till noon. Bobby V after me. Roundtable 3 o'clock here on ESPN 680-1057. Texture, that Beth Haven coach isn't a sexy hire. Whoa, whoa. I said non-sexy. The Beth Haven coach is super sexy. Let's settle down. Uh, (laughs) Texture, if this was, say, David Padgett and not Kenny Payne, there'd be no discussion of a third year, even if he was still here. Uh, How do you respond to that text, Mark? There isn't any discussion of Kenny getting a third year. You don't think so? Who's no? I don't know. Even no, I don't know a soul um, that I think has any insight into what they're doing over there that that thinks that there's anything that's happened up to this point Mm. that points towards a third year. I just I don't I don't know anyone. And like they lost over the weekend. We don't get even like the most hard boiled. Uh, defenders really don't chime in anymore. I mean, we just don't hear anything like this, Louis. So it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's almost like there's a fear of it, but there really isn't anything indicating that people are considering it. And, and I would just go back to what Josh said to Eric Crawford uh, right after the Kentucky game uh, and the things that he said, the, the degree to which he guarded his language so much mm. and didn't overpromise didn't try to gaslight at all, didn't try to put a positive spin on it, didn't even, if we're being real here, uh, Louis, didn't even really uh, express faith that it would change. Mm. Just said there needs to be more, his word, which has become like the dominating word in this conversation now, deposits. Right. He needs to bank more good things uh, in order to maintain faith in him through some of the bad things and that there haven't been up to this point. And just ask yourself, what's changed since then? They beat Miami? Good. They didn't beat NC State. Bad. Right, yeah. Uh, Texter, uh, UK basketball. <laughs> this was from earlier in the show. I did want to get to this one, though. Uh, UK basketball is the equivalent of the Dallas Cowboys the last few years. All hype and offseason and regular season attention, but no postseason results to be happy about. I, I don't know how you could argue with that. They are very similar that way, for sure. Uh, text, uh, same Texter. Louis in full UK troll mode, hosting UofL-based Ennis today. Every angle, comment, question Louis has uh, has a blue troll tint to it. Mark, do you want to respond to that? Guilty? Like, what do you want from me? You, like, I don't. Like, what, you know what I'm going to talk about on Tuesday. Like, what? Like, and how is any of this? I haven't mentioned UK once. I don't. No, no. He's saying that I'm tro- I'm being a UK troll. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm being the UK troll. Oh, I thought you said me. I'm like, what no, no, hell? Louis. No, Louis. I'm I'm obviously. Uh, I don't. You Louis, know, these are very obvious uh, <laughs> questions. Louis, I don't know. Well, there we go. What <laughs> would you be asking me? <laughs> that that would not. I even asked like you what's it. replicable from the Miami game because if they yeah. can run that back, it'd be a lot more fun the rest of the year. I still got to watch Weird. these games, man. <laughs> yeah, and look, it's gonna. It's about to get significantly <sighs> more difficult. Uh, that North Carolina matchup, you know, for a Louisville team in particular that struggles with transition defense. Yeah. And, and Carolina consistently one of the teams most determined to play at a very fast pace and good at it, not just doing it. Uh, it's, it, it is a nightmare uh, for them. And, and then to have a big man and to have quality big men who can physically hold up against only Hatfield, like this, other guys are going to have to play very well for them to win that game. One of the really disappointing parts of L not being very good is this is the schedule 
that fans used to dream about when this team was in Conference yeah. USA and all these other places, right? These were these were the schedules. You know, th- these Big East-type schedules, these ACC-type schedules, where you play a 4-5 game stretch like this with, Car- with the three Carolina teams, with a Clemson, you know, after it, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, this was what fans wanted so, so badly. And to not even have a team that's going to be, you know, competitive in this is, is so disappointing because, you know, all of that work, we talked about George, like all that work to get to a place like the ACC and then to not have a team that's going to be competitive uh, in this kind of stretch. Because these are the kinds of stretches as a fan that just, you start you know rubbing your hands together in this kind of stuff, man. I just, oh, it would be fantastic. Ugh. No, look, I think you're 100% right. And I would imagine that there are similar conversations around the ACC, not in some sort of like, get rid of them way but sure they have to at least acknowledge here you thought that louisville would be more of a basketball property than it has turned out to be so far mm. uh in the acc and unfortunately that's sort of how it's gone with the acc right you get miami football and you think it's gonna be great and it's not and you get louisville basketball and they go through their worst stretch probably ever uh in the history of the program uh, i would certainly understand uh, that and as far as fans are concerned yeah you see it on the football side where you, you get a schedule uh, with some of the, and you make the most or, right. or make a lot more of it on yes. kind of a regular basis than you have in basketball recently. And it just, that's the history of Louisville, I think, fandom. You're constantly asking, like, we can do it in this world. Why can't we do it in this one? Uh, and then you, you actually make some real tangible uh, progress in football to places you've never been before, only to have basketball drop the rope. <laughs> and so you've right. got to figure out a way to have all of this going kind of at the same time. Because if you did, Louis, it's really n- never been this good. Overall, I mean, right. Louisville was like 13th in the uh, the, the Directors Cup or whatever uh, for fall sports. Like, it, it, oh, I it has. I they're, mentioned they're this a couple weeks well, ago, except for the thing that matters the most. That's exactly right. I was just I was just going to say that like a week and a half ago, Zach can attest to this. I was like, no, the issue with pain is that everyone else is excelling here, right? <laughs> like yeah. everyone else has figured it out. Baseball, women's basketball, football, uh, swimming, field hockey. Volleyball. I mean, like every volleyball. Yes, it's like obvious examples of people really excelling with whatever they're doing on campus across the street, right? So clearly, there's an example, and then they've got this beautiful palace downtown, and it's empty. I mean, it's really a shame. Speaking of those fans, and you. You mentioned the bump in attendance. Yes, people, I put in my FOIA request. Uh, they, the attendance, there was an obvious bump, obvious energy for NC State. Is this as simple with the fans in this town as getting some kind of change, a coach that's a popular hire, and they'll be back next season? Or is this going to be a process of a couple of years, you think? No, I, I don't think it will take a couple of years. I think the fans are, are one step away. Uh, from from being back there and again I, I think the attendance for nc state shows you louis it's not about you, yes it's not about are we going to sit here and and sit through a win or a loss uh, because i think if you had asked uh, the the people who made the decision to go to the nc state game after miami did they think louisville was going to win i don't think you would get you know an unreasonable number of people saying yeah they're going to win this game sure it's it's more about can i Sit here, pay the money, make the effort, devote the time, and and make myself sort of emotionally available to this team and not feel like the effort and product on the floor mocks me. Like that that is really to me what it comes down to. Can I feel like it's right for me to cheer this on? And the minute uh, uh, people feel like, okay, look, it might not work out, they might not win, but it's going to be like worthy of me. We'll see what happens. There's a lot more people than, than, than maybe we thought that are willing to sit in that. And that's a good thing. 
And it's good that you haven't lost those people. And I hope that Kenny takes the, the lesson from this, that like if you just start making little steps, people will start making little steps back towards you too. All right, take our second break of the hour here. Quick segment on the other end. Mark Ennis with us. He's on the drive three to six over on 93.9 at Mark Ennis on Twitter as well. Uh, We'll wrap up the conversation. We'll talk a little football. Do it next here, ESPN 680-1057. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. Let me catch. You ready? Let me, let me bone. Solomon Van Yo. Yo, what's up, son? What's up, kid? What's going on, kid? Yo, man, I'm just doing my thing, man. You are listening to Rebeau and Co. here on ESPN 680-1057. Now, here's Louis Rebeau. You know, this morning, Mark Blankenbaker claimed that this era was the peak of Western civilization. And I want to be mad at him, but this song is, is the peak of Western civilization. It's okay to say. Louis Rebeau, hanging out with you at Radio Louis on Twitter. You can find our station at ESPN 680. You can find Mark Ennis at Mark Ennis on Twitter. He joins us here in his usual spot on Tuesdays in the 10 o'clock hour. I uh, just talked to you of L Hoops if you missed any part of our show, you can go back and check it out at the podcast center, ESPNLouisville.com. All right. So, uh, Brahm has, uh, let me, I'm doing quick math here, Mark, but, uh, 708 guys have come through the transfer portal to Louisville, uh, since the portal opened. Uh, I, I've heard, uh, that the tight end has gone back to ball state. Are we okay? Yeah. Because one from Miami is coming here now. (laughs) So it's, uh, they, they may have actually upgraded in terms of that individual guy. Uh, and we will see. Look, if nothing else, I think, uh, Jeff, it seems like the one of the lessons Jeff took away from this season is if I have to become a team that uh, is primarily good at running the ball on offense, uh, we're going to be better at tight end so that we can make the most of that. Because that, that really was, I think, the piece that this year's team was missing. If wide receiver was going to be something of an issue, which I think it was when Shamari Thrash got hurt, and they were primarily a running team, uh, the inability to have a tight end or tight ends that take advantage of being kind of a bunch-up run team uh, it really kept them from having like a really solid kind of counterpunch. Uh, and they're they're determined, pretty obviously, to not have that be an issue this year. With what you've seen in the portal and the action uh, around it from the Brom camp and from the folks over at Louisville Football, wh- how would you say that he's going to try to build this team long term? Is it going to be a mix of high school recruits and guys in the portal? Is he going to try to get guys who are, you know, maybe it didn't work out at Bama, you know, with a guy like uh, oh, Jacor- what's his last name? I'm sorry. Um, Jacory Brooks. Thank you, Brooks. Yes. And then, um, you know, you get a tight end from Miami where, you know, with Jaleel Skinner, that maybe it just it just didn't work in Miami or, you know, Crystal Ball's a bum, that kind of thing, whatever it might be. But right. is he going to build more with that? Because, look, I mean, fans can certainly want and hope that Louisville is going to be a playoff type team, but there are certain 
you know, restrictions of coaching here and playing here that don't exist in other places. You know, the, the history and that, that thing where we hold up the names of college football as just sacrosanct and so important is part of it for sure. But how do you think he's going to have to build long-term here to have long-term sustained success? And is that a possibility? Yeah, I, well, I do think it's a possibility. Uh, I, I think it's just a matter of uh, all, all coaches at schools that are aspirational and not blue bloods. Uh, and the ACC is a lot of those with the Louisville and NC State and the, the you know the Virginias yep. uh, places. And then in the SEC, Kentucky's like that. South Carolina's like that. Not blue bloods, but have a lot to work with and and are. Uh, at least interested in, if not totally committed in, being successful in football. Uh, and you're not one of those places that's going to just kill it in high school recruiting. You'd be a damn fool uh, not to try and use the portal as much as you can. In particular, to use the portal to save you the time and trouble of recruiting guys that are just much more of a risk no matter what. It's just like there are so many guys that are just like solid three-star recruits that might work out, that might not. And we just forget so many of them over the years because they come in for a couple of years, they never play, they leave. And now I think the portal existing and transfers being eligible immediately, it gives you the ability, I think, to take fewer of those risks if you're a school like Louisville in taking for uh, more known quantities from other places uh, to keep the drop-offs from dropping down to, man, we might have to count on all of our three-star guys and some of them might not, not actually be good. Uh, Now you don't have to do that nearly as much. And I think it's interesting if you look at, say, on three's rankings of the top transfer portal classes, it's a bunch of non-blue bloods. Florida State's the only blue blood really on there. It's Louisville and NC State and Colorado and Ole Miss, Miss, Syracuse now, places like that. And I'm glad that some other places have kind of a side entrance to try and at least on a year-in, year-out basis have rosters that can compete for that year. Because otherwise you're stuck – Louisville has had to ride the – the circular cyclical kind of wave and build up over two or three years for a team that can compete and you better nail it when you do. Now you don't have to ride that nearly as much. On that note, how often should Louisville fans hope that the team makes the playoff and how often should they hope that the team is at least dancing around the fringes of the playoff? Well, that's a great question. I, I said, I thought like if they could be in it, Twice in a decade. Okay. And okay. in it deep deep into November, uh, half the time. Okay. Just, you know, f- can see it from where they are. And then basically every other year being, uh, okay, not quite. Because other schools, are they're going to nail their cycle too. Yes. If, right. Especially as long as Florida State and in, in Miami and Clemson are still in the ACC. The, the truth is, there's probably very rarely going to be more than, say, two from the ACC. That would they're going to be able to get themselves into the top twelve, and that's Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Louisville, NC State. Those are the the ones in the ACC. I think probably feel like they can do this on something of a regular basis, and you're going to have to beat a bunch of those every year to to get there. With Notre Dame on the schedule too, uh, so I I think getting there twice, just getting into it twice in a decade, and being in striking distance of it, every, you know, half of the time is about the best of where a number of schools uh, can can thrive. And if they are that, like you can sustain that over a long period of time. Quincy Riley's coming back, and I'm interested yeah. in sort of how, how they're going to build the defense long-term uh, across the street as well. Do you think they'll keep 
that core defensive coaching group together and try to build in a similar way to what they're doing on offense in the way that you just talked about roster construction, right? Where they're, you know, it's going to be some transfer guys, going to be other, you know, other pieces um, as well. What do you think that looks like long term for U of L? Yeah, I think you try your very best uh, to use. I think the portal is where Louisville is going to have its chance to get guys they struggle to get via high school recruiting, and that's front seven, you know, defensive linemen, and and then to supplement, I think the secondary because I think if you can just if you can get some guys that can hold their own up front, and then get really creative with your pass rush, kind of what the Ravens used to do. Uh, with Wink Martindale, where it was like, give me guys who can cover, and I'll come up with a pass rush with what we do. I think that's what Louisville tries to do, and I think that's what they will try to do, is find guys who can kind of hold their own and get really creative and exotic with how they blitz and pressure, and just find guys that can cover. And Quincy Riley coming back uh, is going to free them up to do so much mm. in terms of take chances and pass rush and, and, and that sort of thing. And it it's huge for next year, where I think they're going to play some better passing offenses and better quarterbacks than they had to this year. Uh, more important, you think, for the next couple of seasons, uh, establishing a win in the rivalry or being in the playoff discussion. Uh, boy, this was you know, it's funny that you ask it and that you ask it just like that because I don't know the answer to that uh, because I don't know how just making the playoff or even perhaps even having success in the playoff is going to resonate with people relative to how winning in the rivalry will matter. Sure. And here's here's why why I bring that up. You know, for the the vast majority of the time that it was Calipari and Patino here, Louisville was still very much on the losing end of the rivalry in that game head to head, but there were several years where you could just bury that under having better tournament success and having a better team uh, and and being in a better conference and, and all that sort of, like there were other things that you could at least make yourself feel better about that kind of would take the sting out of the rivalry loss. I don't know if football making the playoff, just making the playoff or even winning one, if that will have the same effect. So I'm tempted to say he's got to get on the right side of that rivalry first. Yeah, I, I don't know that we're going to – it feels the same. Yeah, and, and frankly, I think one can feed the other, right? You win the Kentucky game, you're much more likely to be in, in the playoff because it's at the end of the season, et cetera. And so, yeah, no, I, I think they feed one another. And, and if the if the text line is any indication of, of how fans think, and I always don't want to assume that – there's a, a little lot, selection bias there, yeah. Yeah, but no, but a lot of U, U of L fans are really convinced they had the better football team this year. They just didn't win the game, and and I don't know if <laughs> at some point the result has to matter too, though, right? And so you know, I just well, sure, yeah, I, I do think though, you know, and we talk about it on the blue side with with Stoops, you know, if not, you know, outside of getting to a bowl on a consistent basis, beating Louisville has become one of the hallmarks of his time there. I do yes. think for Brom, it's so obviously personal that he wants to win that game. The way that he reacted after the game uh, was, look, it was very controlled, but it was out of character about how upset he was, right? I mean, that was, it was so yeah. obvious that he was not happy about it. I, I think if you asked him, he'd love to, you know, he'd love to win that rivalry game and then try to figure out the playoff stuff after that. Yeah, I agree with you. Also, I think football has the larger dynamic of uh perception of your whole league mm. it just matters you know it matters way more in football in terms of access and like you're just whether you like it or not you are more 
attached to what people think of your you and your neighbors. Property values matter, matter way more, <laughs> you know, mm. in in college football uh, than than maybe we would like it to be. But in basketball, like you can, people can think not much of your league, but then it's all just about what you on your own do in the tournament, whether you like it or not. Uh, in football, I think we don't. We won't have a tournament so big that you can just sort of not really care how your conference does. So winning that game against Kentucky for the sake of just sort of seeing uh, them beat a team from the SEC, as long as Kentucky's one of the top half of the league, is it matters. Uh, and it probably will matter more than it would in basketball, for sure. Uh, Texter saying, uh, with the transfer portal, uh, L should be in the playoffs regularly. We are on the cutting edge more than most. Uh, do you think that last part is true? And if it is, what is L doing that's different than other places. Is it an NIL thing? Is it a Brom thing? What do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I, I think, one, Louisville un, unquestionably is in great shape and was one of the uh, an early adopter of NIL activity yes, and have been organized about it. And yep. Jeff's, uh, Jeff is obviously, uh, I think, very good uh, at playing ball with that, and he recognizes that uh, here. But then I think you add to it, he has uh, – he's pretty uh, – charismatic as a coach and has an identifiable style of play and, and this is a this is a good place to to live and be in college and be a a local kind of a, a superstar and he puts guys in the league i mean he's he's got a a, a pitch and I, bud elliott tweeted something yesterday that i think is a great point uh you've got to be able to play ball nil wise you just have to but in the end if you want to uh, you when you want to win high profile recruiting battles everyone's paying you have to come up. You have to differentiate yourself somehow. And I think Louisville does have that, too. They can play an IL ball. But also, they've got a great city, a great environment, a great coach, puts guys in the league. Like, they've got a lot going for them kind of all together. So I think it's a cluster of things. Uh, texts are asking, why can't you say ass on the radio? I, I can. I say uh, ass regularly. Yeah, no, ass. Uh, texter, uh, is See it? what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> is it good that the rivalry means so much to Brom? Look what it meant to Patino. And so, this is this is an interesting question, and I think it's a it's a thing that it's a thing that all coaches and all players have to deal with, which is the emotion of playing a rival and not letting it get into your preparation in a negative way, right? We saw that with Patino, that it became... It ate him up. It, it ate him up, and it ate his team even worse. Yeah. Um, and it just it just trickled down to every single person involved with the program. So obviously you don't want it on that level. But I would say a, a, healthy, a healthy desire to win your rivalry game and understanding what it means in a place like Kentucky uh, in the state here uh, is, is absolutely a good thing. What says Mark Ennis? Oh, I, listen, I would much rather him be wound too tight and have to really work to keep it from affecting his players than him look disaffected or, you know, not affected enough by how this goes and have to try to communicate that. Uh, but I, I think that is a, a really just – it's not even necessarily rivalry-driven, although it's, it's maybe more so like this when we're talking about the rivalry sure. game. But I think Jeff's biggest – uh, challenge as a coach is he's just wound real tight yes, right. all the time. Yep. And I think he, even the pit game, for instance, you know, he really lost that game for them uh, by, by getting in his own head. And there was the missed call early in the second half. And I felt like he almost never calmed down that entire third quarter uh, because of it. And I felt like it impacted the entire team. So it, it's an issue for Jeff anyway, but no coach is good at, at everything. So that's his. How good is the Arizona job? I don't think it's that great at all. I, and I, I don't really get it. Like the 
Jedfish, I, I, I have a, a journalism dorky buddy that we sort of have always joked how much people seem to love him in the media because he's pretty accessible. Sure. It's kind of funny how that works yep. uh, sometimes. Yep. Uh, so that, that went better at Arizona than I ever thought it would uh, with him. Uh, and it's kind of amazing how he's been able to parlay that into the Washington job. What I think is kind of fascinating to watch is, is this life for non blue blood now? Yep. You like th- they were set up to probably be a top 10 team, bring a lot of guys back from this year's team. He has finally sort of laid a good foundation in Arizona. The Washington job opens up. He leaves. The roster leaves. And they're decimated. It's it's almost like life for non-Blue Bloods has gotten higher risk, higher reward. Like now when your coach leaves for another job, your team's probably going to suck the next year and not just sort of how can you manage that. Uh, it, it's a, It's just a lot more at stake every single time there's a coaching change now. Well, if you want to listen to Blue Blood Radio, you should listen to The Drive. It's on 3 to 6 every weekday here <laughs> on 93.9. His name is Mark Ennis, at Mark Ennis on Twitter. Mark, appreciate you, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Anytime. All right, thanks, Mark. All right, there you go. I'll do a Canes drop on the other side. Uh, we'll get into hour two of the show uh, as well. Kalen DeBoer has uh, named his defensive uh, his defensive coordinator. I'm doing offensive line talk with Zach C. Do not go anywhere. You understand me, people. We're doing offensive line talk, and we will get back into the NFL games because I know uh, Zach will have opinions on that. UK lost at Texas A&M. Did not affect their pole position too badly, and so we'll talk about that as well. And I actually think Belichick might be a good fit in Atlanta. We talk about all of it next here at ESPN 680, 105.7.